Nietzsche. And good afternoon, everybody. My name's Morag, and I'm a member of the congregation. Um, today, my talk is going to focus on verse 18 from the passage which has just been read. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And the theme that I'm taking out of this is that no one is beyond the grace of God. But first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the passage which has been read to us. In this passage, Peter was called to explain um, to the Jews two things. One, why he'd been eating food that was considered to be unclean, and the other, why he had been mixing with Gentiles, gone into a house with Gentiles. Peter explained that previously he'd had a vision, a dream, where he saw animals coming down from heaven, and God told him to eat these animals, kill and eat. And those animals were ones that were considered to be unclean by the, by the Jews. So Peter said, no, no, I can't, I can't eat that because it's unclean. He had that vision three times. And from that vision, he heard God saying, nothing that I, can cre that I create can be considered to be unclean. So Peter realized then that there's no such thing as an unclean animal. Very shortly afterwards, Peter was called to Caesarea, where he went into a house where there were six brothers. And the brothers said that um, an angel had appeared to them and had told them to go to send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As Peter began to speak, the men, the six brothers and their families in the house were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter remembered then what Jesus had said, that John had baptized with water, but that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there he was talking in the house and the Gentiles were being baptized with the Holy Spirit. This made Peter realize that God's word was for everyone. Because in those times, um, the Jews tended to think that God's word was just for them. Which is a bit like you and me today, thinking God is only for women, not for men. Or God is only for the black people, not for the white. Or only for the Scots, definitely not for the English. <laughs> but through this vision that he'd had and the experience, Peter's thinking was transformed. He had a new way of thinking about things. Maybe you've had a vision, a dream, or you've had an encounter which has changed your belief system, which has transformed the way that you think. It won't necessarily be a dream, it could be a conversation, a talk, uh, or just something that has given you food for thought, that's changed the way that you think. Uh, the context of this story as well has its roots in the covenant that God made with Abraham when God said in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. All the families of the earth means all the peoples on earth, regardless of race or ethnic group. His message, God's message, is for everyone. So when Peter had finished explaining this to the Jews, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, I'd like to talk to you about some voluntary work that I have been doing over the past year and share with you some reflections that I've had over the year.
I went to a talk a few years ago at Focus by the Reverend Paul, Paul Cowley, who is fa the founder of Caring for Ex-Offenders in the Community. And basically, the talk, he was saying that the church really needs to do more to support those in prison and those when they come out into the community. The following year, I went to a talk given by Alpha in prisons and heard about the transforming effect that the Alpha is having in prisons on the people who attend them. And following on from these talks, I found myself thinking more and more about what could I do? Is there any way in which I could help? And to begin with, I was a bit overwhelmed by this, and I thought, well, you know, I've really got nothing much to offer. But as we know, when God has a plan for you, when he plants a seed, it actually becomes very difficult to ignore. So last year, I contacted Newbridge Foundation. Newbridge Foundation is a small charity with a vision to bring light into the darkest places. It's a charity that has a befriending scheme. And after an interview and two days training, I joined their team of befrienders. Now, the role of the befriender is to write and to visit people in prison who've requested this service. And if, if necessary, and if, and if the person wants it, to be a support when the offender is eventually released back into the community. All befrienders have to attend a monthly support meeting to feedback on the letter writing and the visits. This is in case there, there are any issues that need to be discussed, any information that's been shared for you that's been disturbing, or indeed anything that needs to be taken to the authorities. So I am currently writing to three, three uh, people, and I will start visiting uh, in July. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, one, of the, one of the men that I write to. M.O. has been given a life sentence, and he served most of his time, and he's up before the parole board later this year and he's hoping to be released into an open prison. His background is typical of many prisoners. He was abused as a child. He's a dyslexic. This was diagnosed in prison. He left school illiterate, unable to read and write. He was a self-harmer, and he had se serious anger management issues. Now, prison has presented Emo with many opportunities, and he has taken those opportunities. He can now read and write, and he's got qualifications in garden, gardening. He does a lot of work in the prison gardens. He's attended an anger management course, which he says is the hardest course he's ever attended, the hardest thing he's ever had to do. And he feels though he's much better now at managing his anger. The support that Emo got from his chaplaincy team in the various prisons that he's been in led to him becoming a Christian, being baptized and being confirmed. Emo was encouraged to face up to what he had done and the consequences of his crime. The impact that it was had, had on its victim, on the victim and the families, his family, and also on him, ultimately on him as well. And I can see from his letters the change that being a Christian is having on him. He has not self-harmed for over a year. He now has hope and he can see a future for himself outside prison. He was able to forgive his family and hopes that in time, sorry, forgive his father, and hopes that in time his family will want to know him again, will want to have something to do with him. So since becoming a befriender with Newbridge, I've reflected a lot on what the Bible has to say about supporting prisoners. Jesus identifies with the weak, the helpless, and the outcast, with those on the margins of society, 
And he calls us to identify with them as well. He wants us to put ourselves in their shoes, to walk alongside them, offering care and support when necessary. Isaiah 61 verse 1 reads, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, I want to take a moment here to think about the word freedom. What does the word freedom mean? So I went to dictionary and I've got this definition. Freedom is a condition or right of being able or allowed to do, say, think, whatever you want to without being controlled or limited. When a person is in prison, their physical freedom is greatly curtailed. They're not allowed to leave the building. They're not allowed to go out into the community, unless, of course, in an open prison. But that still is, is very controlled. And even within the prison, their freedom of movement is curtailed. They have to spend a lot of time, for example, in their cells. So Isaiah 61 one says, God proclaims freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So whilst being in prison, though the prisoners are still physically contained, when they find Jesus, they, are, they find a form of freedom. They find freedom from fear, freedom from sin, and freedom for ignorance. And in a sense, I think we've possibly all been prisoners at one time in our lives. And maybe some of us still are. Many people are held captive with some sort of fear, anxiety, worry, debt, ignorance, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, by an event that's happened to us in our lives which we can't let go of. And though we're not physically locked up and contained, our freedom is still greatly restricted. We're not, the way that we live our lives will not be as free as if we didn't have this thing holding us captive. Our freedom is affected. Jesus identified himself as a source of freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from fear, and freedom from ignorance. Acts 13, verses 38 to 39 reads, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. Prisoners who find Jesus in prison there, not will not be freed physically, straight away anyway, but they will be free from sin. There will be an opportunity for forgiveness, for redemption, and they can become new creations in Christ, which could lead to rehabilitation and reintegration into society. There is a new beginning for them when they leave prison. And I can see that in, in Mo's letter that he writes to me. He is looking forward to coming out of prison. He can see a new life for himself out of prison, not going back to the life that he had before. And that then led me on to reflect on that no one is beyond the grace and love of God. As it says in Romans 10:13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many offenders feel abandoned by society. They feel misunderstood, they're lonely, they're afraid, they're angry, they feel hard done by, they feel they've been dealt a terrible hand, life's given them a terrible hand. And when they find themselves in prison, many are at hit rock bottom. They wonder, how, how have I got here? What have I done that's got me to this place? And at this point, they start to reflect on their past and what they've done, and many will call upon God for help. And as we know, God is always ready to help. 
No one is beyond the love of God. Forgiveness and redemption is there for everyone. Moses was a murderer and a fugitive when God called him to lead his people to the promised land. Paul, who hated Christians, persecuted them, and helped to put many to death, was called by God to take the gospel beyond the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Jesus saw Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in the tree, a man who had cheated, stolen money, who was hated by his community. He called him, he ate at his house, and as a result, the lives of Zacchaeus and his family were totally transformed. David was an adulterer and a murderer, yet Jesus was born from the line of David. God takes our messy, our broken lives, and he transforms them. He uses the good and the bad experiences that we've had as a means of reaching others. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God hears the cries and the calls of those who are in prison, those who may be at the end of their tether, and he is there, he is there with forgiveness and redemption. For, for all, for everyone. There is hope for a, of a new future, a new beginning in Christ. The Reverend Paul Cowley, OBE, the man who inspired me to do this volunteering work, himself is an ex-offender. He is now a vicar, he has set up the charity, uh, care for ex-offenders in the community, and he got an OBE, he's been recognized for the work that he's doing in prison reform. God has taken his life his messy, broken life. He's transformed it, and he's using it as a means to help many others, to reach many others in society. I also want to think a little bit here, too, about communal responsibility. And I was struck here by a point made by Dr. Christopher Marshall in his paper, Prison, Prisoners, and the Bible. And in his article, he says that imprisonment in biblical times was seen and used as an instrument of oppression rather than an instrument of justice. Prison was not described as a criminal sanction in Old Testament law. And I quote from his article, for Israel, the fullest response to crime was not isolated punishment of an individual lawbreaker, but the repentance of the community or even the entire nation. Now our society penalizes the individual and that's not necessarily the wrong approach because a crime has been committed and the person has got to face up to the consequences and in this case, uh, they go to prison. They've got to take responsibility for their actions. But I ask the question, should our society also shoulder some of the blame for the individual committing the crime in the first place? Consider this, most of the prison population come from a disadvantaged background. They come from homes where violence has been prevalent. They've been exposed to violence throughout their lives, where drugs and substance abuse is commonplace. Many have very poor literacy and numeracy skills. Many were excluded from school. Many have speech, language, and communication needs. And many had mental health issues before going into prison. When we look at the background of many offenders, we can see a common profile of disadvantage. However, I'm not trying to use the, this, this uh, profile as an excuse for crime, because crime cannot be excused. And many people coming from similar backgrounds do not commit crimes, but go on to lead good and productive lives. I listened to an interview recently from a young ex-offender, and he said that the voices that he heard, the voices that were loudest, 
were, and off, that were offering him approval uh, and saying, well done, were the voices who were encouraging him to commit crimes. He felt valued and respected by the wrong people. Those were the voices that stood out for him. Now, we are surrounded by voices, good and bad, and we have to choose which voice we're going to listen to. We have choices. There are choices to be made. And here I'm reminded of the lyrics of a Leonard Cohen song, which I'm not going to sing to you, which you'll be very happy to hear, but I'm going to read it. So it's, I've had choices since the day that I was born. There were voices that told me right from wrong. If I'd listened, I wouldn't be here today, living and dying with the choices I've made. So what can we do? How can we help? What can the church do? Well, we as Christians can actually play a very important role because God is a God of hope. He's a God of opportunity. He's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Everybody who calls upon the Lord will be heard. So we need to ensure that our voices are the strongest voices, that we're carrying the message of God, the message of hope to all of society into the darkest places. Our voices have got to stand out. And our voices have got to be relevant to society today. They've got to be meaningful to the life that people are leading. We've got to be able to help the children, the young person and the adults see the freedom and the choices that exist in the love of Jesus. Brian Stevenson, who is um, a lawyer who works in prisons in the States, in America, he does amazing work, he spoke at the leadership conference at HDB last year, and he called upon the church to wake up. He says we have to stand up and play a, better, a more prominent part in prisons, with the prison population and with people coming out from prison. He says we have to get closer to those we want to help. He would say we've got to get proximate. Now, I feel that the experience that I've had over the past year in this volunteering work, I can feel God challenging me. He's telling me to put aside my prejudices and my biases. During the interview with Newbridge, I was given a list to look at. And on the list was the uh, prison, prison category of the prisoner, the um, crime committed, and then a little bio um, about the person. And I was then asked, is there any person that you wouldn't support, any crime? that you wouldn't feel comfortable supporting. And I realized then that the answer is no, I would support anybody who has requested, who has asked for a befriender. God was saying to me, look beyond the labels, look beyond the narrative, look for the person underneath. At that moment, God reminded me that we're all his children. And as such, the people on that list were probably very similar to me that we all had the same needs and wants, the need to be loved, to be valued, and that some of them may well share the same hopes and dreams as I do. We are all God's children. We were all created by him. Hebrews 13, 1-3 reads, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prisons as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much, Morag. Um, 
yeah, really challenging and really inspiring as well. And um, if any of that has sparked your interest, I'm sure Morag would be happy to talk with you um, about more about the work or if there's something that you 